Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess Vetters. Every week, we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share our favorite hobby. Now, we may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is something that I have been uh, looking forward to for the 24 hours that it's been since I thought of it. I have with me my special guest, Greg, to do a Magical Girl special. Yay! Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and maybe give a hint as to why I've brought you in to talk about this particular topic. Um, well, Jess, thank you for bringing me on first and foremost. Of course. Um, I'm a creative in New York City, not unlike yourself, and I have the the wonderful privilege of getting to live with you, um, which is kind of interesting to see the behind the scenes workings that go into to Dodeca. Yeah, because um, you, you overhear me recording most weeks. Everything. And I get a little on the excited side. Some might say fanboy-ish for the episodes. Um, but yeah, otherwise I, I have a really unnatural and unfettered love for all things close to or adjacent to Magical Girl animes. Now, when I first proposed this topic to you, I I brought it along with something else. Warlocks. Yes. <laughs> so let me explain this a little bit. I was basically just walking through our neighborhood yesterday, uh, and I was thinking about Dungeons and Dragons, as I do. <laughs> and it occurred to me, because this is something that I think about a lot, how, like, how would I make this kind of character in this system. And I realized, oh, you can pretty easily adapt a warlock in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons to fit the whole magical girl genre. A lot of the tropes overlap, and what I realized as I was looking in the book to confirm my suspicions is that there is an invocation that you can get from early on, and for anybody who doesn't know, invocations are the special abilities that warlocks have that are basically you can do this one thing as often as you want or you know fill in the blank on the specifics of the particular invocation but there's one that i believe is called mask of many faces yes that fits the whole transformation aspect yes and that was the thing that i had been struggling to figure out like if i'm going to make this kind of character how do I get the transformation sequence? So I find it really funny that you bring it up in that context, just because back in 3.5, I think when the Warlock was introduced, um, I saw a lot of similarities between what they were going for in the traditional Warlocky sense and the like super emo, broody, dark. Mm-hmm. And then you saw some options that were closer to fairy magic that were light and bubbly and bright colors everywhere. And my little heart of joy squeed. And I may or may not have made a, a warlock who was basically Sailor Moon. Um, 
because the Mask of Many Faces is a power invocation that has been there since 3.5. Nice. And it broke everybody the first time I used it in the context of, I'm transforming so I can use my powers. And everyone didn't know what to do with the table. And it was literally my favorite <laughs> moment of my gaming career up until that point. That is that is a very solid moment. And I can just imagine the stunned faces of everyone looking at you like, oh, wait a minute, you're transforming to use your power. Why? And then the realization dawning on <laughs> all of the beautiful nerds that play these games. Right? But I love the idea of adding these, not necessarily restrictions, but like mechanical hoops that you have to jump through in order for your character to be your character. Yeah. I think a lot of those hoops, especially when they are self, uh, I want to say inflicted. Um, Self-imposed? I Yeah, warlocks, you know. Um can help really flesh out and create a beautiful character Mm -hmm. instead of like the generic, Hey, I have another warlock or Hey, I have another barbarian and like playing with the mechanics, not just the flavor context of things, but the the mechanics of the game is really cool in that way. And, and helps you to build a more quirky and lovable character. Quirky and lovable is always a good thing. Obviously. Well, unless you're in the sort of situation where quirky (laughs) is, I guess I'll put it this way. You never want a table with six quirky characters. No, there is such a thing as too much quirk. Quirk is delightful and loved when it's in a moderated dose. So if you have too much or too little, it's like, uh, we need to fix that. There's like that happy medium of, okay, we have our one plucky quirky character. We Mm -hmm. don't need another. We don't have space. We've filled that quota. Move on. Now, I want to uh, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about a little bit less of the like Dungeons and Dragons specific and go more into for anybody out there who doesn't know what is a magical girl. Oh, uh, a magical girl is a genre of anime out there that has kind of opened up to affect even non-anime type creations mm-hmm. that include usually, uh, uh, like it implies, a younger girl who is anywhere from like middle school to high school. Generally speaking, yeah. Who gets some sort of crazy magic powers through some sort of animal companion. Um, and there's an awakening and there's essentially, if you want to tie it back into... Uh, warlockiness, there, there is a pact made or an agreement between said random adorable animal friend and young female protagonist. Generally speaking, something along the lines of you get these powers and you get to be special, yes. but you also have to fight these monsters that oftentimes no one else is actually aware of. Correct. So it's like this whole superhero double life thing, but the other life is a total secret. Like, you don't even get to be Peter Parker with people knowing who Spider-Man is. True. Um, Up until there's usually an arc that happens rapidly of, oh, look, there's more magical girls or there's companions and teammates. 
so that oh, yeah. you're not completely alone. Well, there's there's almost always a team, and some of that is about merchandising, and a lot of that is about. Um, you're not wrong. Well, of course, like that's what a lot of cartoons are built around. No matter where you are, well, that's because kids buy things. Exactly. But there's also an aspect of you have the team, so you've got the color-coded different girls with the different personalities so that the audience can see themselves in someone. Yes. So I want to go through the tropes a little bit with you. Okay. And we'll use Sailor Moon as the basis because I think, at least in the States, that is the best-known magical girl show. Also the first, I believe, that came to the States. It, I think you are correct on that aspect. So it's, it's a healthy foundation. Yes. So you've got Sailor Moon. Yes. Usagi. The quirky, lovable eater. Yes. Plucky, not particularly smart. Nope. And whines a whole bunch. But cares so much. And that's her superpower. She, she leads with her heart and she makes friends. So who, who joins the team after her? Uh, I believe that would be Mercury. I think you're right. The smart one. Yeah. The nerd of the group, who's also quiet and shy and reserved and... She is cold to Moon's hot. Correct. Well, really she's cold to Mars's hot, because I think Mars is usually the next one who shows up. Correct. So if you're thinking about this in terms of, like, Power Rangers, which always start as a team. Like, a Sentai squad always starts all together. Correct. Because they complement each other immediately. The difference with Magical Girl shows is that you have to build the team over time. Collect them along the way. So you get your plucky big heart heroine, you get your smart tactician, and then you add to that... A hot-headed, passionate... Uh, Mars, who, in Sailor Moon anyway, is the spiritual leader, essentially. Yeah, if I remember correctly, because Sailor Moon was never, like, my show. (laughs) I was always aware of it, and I watched a little bit of it back in the day. It's not for everybody. Um, It definitely, especially if you're talking about adults, there is a specific demographic Mm -hmm. that... Uh, we are distinctly aware of. Uh, I can put it that way. I mean, you don't have to dance around it. It's it's for us lovely homosexuals and the, like, 12-year-old girls. Yeah. Which, I would love to touch on the psychology of that (laughs) a little bit later. We totally... Not, not like, oh... Gay men are 12-year-old girls, because that's definitely not what I'm saying, and I want you to get that idea out of your heads right now. But we'll come back to that. Okay. So... So back to Mars. Yes. Mars comes in as sort of, like you said, spiritual leader. She's, um... She was basically like a temple, um... Shrine maiden. Shrine maiden, that's the word. Uh, but she's also like... She practices kendo. Yep. And uses weapons better than most of the rest. Correct. Which is a really interesting dichotomy. Uh, if you were to think of it in terms of D&D, she's a paladin. Yes, very much so. But she's a paladin with a short fuse and a hot temper. Which is totally a paladin thing. It could be. That's a whole lot of character. Oh, yeah. But it's really... The entertainment value comes from the fact that 
in the show, you, you collect her, and instead of her and Mercury kind of butting heads a lot, it's always Mars and Moon, because Mars has no patience for, for Moon's scatterbrained and, and kind of unintelligent way of approaching things. Gotcha. So who comes in after Mars? That would be Jupiter, who is the tomboy. Um, and technically, she, I mean, even in how she's animated, she's the tallest one. Mm-hmm. She's the, the guardian of the group. Um, and uh, very, I don't know, she, to me, is very surface as far as reading the character. Um, just because as a tomboy, she likes to fight. She gets into a lot of conflicts. Um, to kind of feed into that trope of, okay, I'm a tomboy, but I'm also like in charge of keeping everybody safe and the guardian of protection, I think. Okay. Some, something to that. Um, but generally speaking, if you're having a fourth member, because you can absolutely have a magical girl team with only three. Yes. Like that is like not magical uncommon. Night Ray Earth. Yeah. This is the thing. You are going to throw out shows that I've never seen and maybe not even heard of because as much as i love the idea of the magical girl there is really only one show that truly resonated with me very deeply and that is the quintessential subversion of the genre yeah uh but we'll talk about that (laughs) a little bit later as well okay Uh, so your fourth member of the team if you're going to bring one in is going to be more of the, like, protector type, not traditionally feminine. Correct. It's a different exploration of girlhood. Um, yeah, and in, in a fun way, it's exploring the idea that just because you're a girl or that you are female does not mean that you have, that you can't be rough and tough and that you don't get into fights and that you're, you don't embrace those masculine traits. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cleverly done in a show like Sailor Moon because we don't think about it in a heavy contextual kind of way. It's, oh, wow, like, that's a tomboy. Cool. Like, she she's tough. We get it. Yeah. Now, I know Sailor Moon has a lot of Sailor Scouts there's they more than them. nine of them. Yeah. They just keep going. So, how many would you like to explore? Because mm-hmm. I'm good stopping at four, but if you want we to can, dive into I the others... I think we can round off by just closing out the, the inner scouts, is what they're called. So you have to add Venus as the last one. Okay. Um, and then we can leave it there, because then you get into the outer scouts, and that's a whole mess... Although my favorite scout is in the Outer Scouts, but again... I'll let, I'll let you talk about your favorite. Oh, jeez. But tell us a little bit about um, Venus first. Venus comes in and is kind of the, oh, hey, we need more exposition as to, like, why this is happening, what's mm-hmm. going on in the story. And Venus is very much so the, hey, I was the, the leader of our team to keep you safe, and you being Sailor Moon in this context, because, spoiler alert... You find out that Sailor Moon is actually the Moon Princess, and the Sailor Scouts are her guardians. Of course. Right? So Venus has her memories of this past life that these girls had, and comes in to kind of 
give everyone the direction of like, here's our new goal. Here's our priority. Um, and she just happens to be the, the sailor guardian of love. So she kind of touches on the same base as, as Moon being like love and kindness and that sort of thing. But a different kind of love. <laughs> Very much so. Um, whereas Sailor Moon is all about friendships and family and, and romantic love. Venus comes in as more so the guardian of more structured. She's, she's not the flighty teenage girl love that Usagi is and is yeah. like running around freaking out about things. She is, she's the, the girl who would say, I love you and mean it in such a way that she's not going to say it to everybody. Whereas Sailor Moon is running around telling everyone she cares about, Hey, I love you. Kind of like myself. Um, crazy, I know. Nah, you're good. Um, it's a more, uh, maybe a more mature, but definitely a more guarded yes, approach. Very much so. And she's a bit more disciplined. So she, she has the ability to kind of round everybody off and point them in the direction that they need to be moving on in so that we're not just dealing with like, Mars and Moon squabbling while Mercury's in the corner doing math homework and <laughs> Jupiter's getting in a fight because a boy called her stupid or something. So tell us about the last one you want to talk about. Oh, uh, my favorite scout is the one that scares everybody in the show. It's uh, Sailor Saturn. She's, if you know me, this becomes very clear very quickly as to why she's my favorite. Mm -hmm. She's the sailor guardian of death and destruction. Oh. Um, and of, of quiet places. Um, you don't want to meet her. So she, she makes two appearances in the, the series, the new one anyway. Okay. Um, and both of them are because she wiped out planets so <laughs> why she's my favorite well okay as soon as you said <laughs> she's your favorite my first thought was okay so this is the Jean gray of the group kind of um saturn's my favorite because she detests her solitude but because of who she is she has to be alone ah a little bit tortured yes and she makes friends with another Sailor Scout we don't need to talk about because that's a whole convoluted story arc. But she makes friends with the Sailor Scouts and really loves them and grows to love them and then doesn't know what to do with it. And shifts between being quiet and having these outrageous tantrums. Um, which is kind of representative of the conflict between her personal desires and her duty as a sailor guardian. Mm. Um, so I think for me, yeah, she's pretty awesome as far as like sailor guardian powers go. Not why I love her because every time uh, she's written and every time she's brought in, it's this, this inner turmoil and this really beautifully written way of, of how do we find this balance between personal desires and our duties at, like, whatever we're stationed at, whether it's, like, work or, or professional life. And it just, I, I love her for that reason. I got you. And, again, if you piss her off, she swings her weapon and destroys planets. Now, this is something else that I want to get into now, because 
this is where the crossover with Dungeons and Dragons starts to happen. Yeah. You've got these different scouts with different core abilities. Yep. And as often happens, they each have like a unique bonded weapon. Yep. Like Moon has her scepter and tiara essentially yeah it starts as a scepter and it evolves into a wand and then all sorts of crazy things a staff at one point but generally speaking still some magical phallic symbol yes which that's a weird thing (laughs) and mars do i remember mars having a bow she gets a fire bow yes nice so you've got these different uh I mean, weapons, yes, but they are also symbols of their personality. Like, it's very linked into, and this is one thing that I actually really love about the genre, like, everything about the character is connected. Correct. Nothing is really arbitrary. No, it's all very much so intentional, and it's all meant to be kind of heavy-handed and tell you this is exactly who this character is Mm -hmm. and what their purpose is for. So that there isn't, like, crazy amounts of, well, I don't get it, or gray space. So in D&D 5, you have different packed boons yes. with the warlock. And the one that stuck out to me as the most obvious for playing a magical girl is obviously Path of the Blade. Right. Because part of that is you can summon your bonded magical weapon. Yep. And it can be pretty much any weapon you want it to be, and you automatically have proficiency with it. Yep. So, <laughs> it's really tempting to look at that and say, all right, I'm going to be like this waifish little girl who is proficient with a great axe because big damage. Right. But you have to keep in mind, what does that say about your character? And it also builds into the trope that you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one you just used is very common in terms of you have a tiny little waifish girl and she's building a 12-foot axe. Like, Well, I mean, one of my favorite characters from my favorite Magical Girl show, which I will just name drop right now, uh, in the West, it was it came over as Puella Magi Madoka Magica. Yes. Um, or, like, in Japan, it was Maho, Maho Shoujo Madoka Magica, which is literally just Magical Girl Madoka Magica. Yes. Uh, but there is a character who is, like... The tiny, delicate, pretty girl, and then she pulls out her weapon, and it's a giant fucking warhammer. Oh, of course. And it's amazing. Right. And it's a very popular trope. Not not even just in Magical Girl world. It's just... Oh, no. I mean, like, that showed up in Scott Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it shows up anywhere. I think the beautiful thing, even with kind of tying it back to D&D, is you can use a warlock even to be, like, a sunshi. Yeah. And and especially in that context. And still have your waifish tiny little girl wielding that 12-foot great axe. And people are going to be like, how was... That? What? Ow. And, yeah. It's magic. Right. Duh. I just... I love the possibilities that a game like Dungeons & Dragons brings us. Because as soon as you start thinking outside of the normal, like really basic tropes you start to see these possibilities of if i play with it a little bit 
I can get anything out of this game. Which is the beauty of the game. Now, there is one other thing with the Warlock that we do need to talk about. Because... Should I be scared? Uh, maybe a little bit. Because Uh-oh. this is the part that Madoka really played with in order to subvert the genre. Right. Where their powers come from. Ah. So, with something like Sailor Moon, where they're playing it straight and it's all about like the power of love and friendship, you've got... The cats who come in and, like, introduce the girls to the powers that were actually kind of inside them yep. all along. So they're kind of more like a sorcerer, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. But with Madoka, you get this character, Kyubei, who is, like, the cute little mascot animal. And Kyubei offers the girls a wish. They can wish for anything they want, and it will be immediately granted but as soon as they do they are pulled into this world of violence and chaos where they're like basically dragged into a pocket dimension to fight what they call witches which are reality warping monsters and i won't say too much about it because if you haven't seen the show saying anything more about it is a massive spoiler and it's like 12 episodes and it's incredible if you have any interest in what we're talking about if you've ever watched sailor moon and you enjoyed it and you want to see a different take on the genre please watch madoka uh just was the one that got me turned on to to, um madoka and i will say 12 episodes not enough like i wanted more i absolutely want more so yeah but like in 12 episodes they tell the story and they they nail it and it's great but you are very correct that if you were to say anything else it's an unfair spoiler. Oh, yeah. But, uh, point being, with the way that that show handles it, you actually, you get a reward for your service. Correct. Which, like, in terms of D&D, the reward is usually the power itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like this idea of your character having something in their backstory where it's like, so I mean, the thing about warlocks is you have to make a pact with something that can grant you power, like immense magical power. <laughs> right. And there are in the various source books, there are different versions of what you can make a pact with. The basic ones are uh, like a fairy type thing from the Feywilds, a great old one, which is basically an eldritch Cthulhu, Cthulhu sort of style being. Um, What's the third one? Was it demonic? Uh, I think it I, I think they is... had to have gone for the obvious. The Fiend. Yeah, yeah. the Archfey, the Fiend, and the Great Old One yeah. are the basics that you can get. Which and... are pretty typical. Yeah. Like when you're thinking about more so the folklore of what a warlock is, obviously we think big bad guys or shamelessly the male version of a witch. Right. So, of course, you're going to have the, the connections to a fiend, something fae in nature, and then Cthulhu. Well, and it's also the idea of the different sources of magic. You've got, like, fairy wild magic. You've got infernal, it's there because it's always been there magic. And then you've got the eldritch unknowable. Right. Uh, what I really like about particularly Xanathor's Guide to Everything is they added two different... Otherworldly patrons. 
And there is one that is the Hexblade, which I haven't looked a lot into because it didn't strike me as particularly interesting. But the other completely subverts, like, the Fiend. Right. And it's the Celestial. Yep. So instead of making a deal with a demon that gives you your powers, you make a deal with an angel that gives you your powers. Which works perfectly in alignment if you're talking about a magical girl show. Exactly. You have a good guy being like, hey, we like you, here's some power. But it's still different from like the path of a cleric who's like, let me heal you or let me pray for my powers. Right. It's a different kind of service. And it's more so, at least in reading The Celestial, you're talking about an angel or a lesser being, not necessarily a deity. Right. It's it's explicitly not a god has granted you these powers, because that is the purview of a cleric or a paladin. Correct. It is something else has decided to lend you some of itself. Correct. And I think that's super cool, and that fits in really nicely with what you were talking about, like, oh no, Usagi is actually the moon princess. Yep. It's like, that sounds to me like a minor deity in itself. I mean, she kind of has unlimited power. Yeah. And it just keeps getting bigger as the show progressed, or progresses, depending on where everyone's at with it. But yeah, there's like, you can't beat her because she has unlimited power because her power is her love. But there are other magical girl shows where you're like, ooh, yeah, no, that's definitely a pact agreement. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, and that familiar, the little furry animal sidekick, is very much so a familiar in the sense of that's, they're teaching you how to use your powers. Mm-hmm. They, in some instances, are giving you your powers or are the channel to your powers. And it, in certain ways, it's just like, mm, okay. It's, it's just fascinating to me how well it accidentally fits. Because I'm almost certain nobody at Wizards of the Coast, when they were writing this, had this particular trope in mind. I, I agree with you to a point. Only because I have to believe that someone there was like, if we make this general enough, or like these cool powers that can be used in different ways. Oh, yeah. But like, they I don't think that, that with everything. Well, yes. I still agree, though. Like, I don't think that there's a super nerd fanboy there being like, hey, how can we create a magical girl class in D&D? I, I would love. I want there to be. I would love to believe that is the case. But we know it's not true. The likelihood is low. We'll put it that way. The books aren't bright enough. They are very dark. (laughs) Uh, And that's not to say magical girl stuff can't be dark. True. If you want to play it that way, that is very easily built in. And one of the things about warlocks is you might not necessarily understand not only what your patron wants... But even what it actually is. Yep. There's a lot to play with there. So, like, if you want to have the light and hopeful, I win with the power of love story, the Celestial is right there in Xanathar's Guide. And it's perfect. And you can even go with the Archfey. Yeah. Because fairy magic can be, like, happy and healing and good. And it's still super bright and colorful. Exactly. Which, Magical Girl just bleeds neon Lisa Frank colors. I mean, like, what I said briefly about you've got color-coded girls. (laughs) (laughs) Like, to the point where 
oftentimes their hair matches the color of their skirt. Correct. Like in terms of Sailor Wait. Mercury. She has blue hair. She's blue all over. Well, her skin is still white. Well, yeah, she's not like Tobias she's, she's, right. from Arrested Development. <laughs> right. She didn't blue herself. No, she did not. But you still, I mean, Venus still, like, her color is a yellow-orange. She's blonde. Yeah. And you're like, okay. And there are darker scouts out there that have dark hair. And oh, you're yeah. Like, I mean, oh, like, okay, Mars, you're doing. Mars has the long black hair that right. you would expect from a Japanese shrine maiden. Correct. And Jupiter has short brown hair. Well, I say short. You don't know how long it is because it's always in a ponytail. Mm. But it's like an earthly brown. Yeah. So, and she's green. So she's more grounded. Earth tones. Yes. And now when I, when I talk about color coding the scouts, if you are playing, and this is something that I really wanted to dig into. If you are playing one magical girl type warlock in your party of normal D&D adventurer types, you can theme yourself however the hell you want. Because you don't have to worry about matching or clashing with the rest of your group as long as you... And, like, to be frank, don't play the aloof death god sort of character. Yeah, don't do that. No one will enjoy that. No. That's a bad choice. For you, like... Great, you want all of the cosmic destruction power. Nobody else in the campaign will enjoy you. No. Um, like, party balance still needs to be a thing. Yes. Mechanically and socially. <laughs> yes. But one of the things that really stuck out to me is... Warlocks are probably the only class I can think of other than Bard... Where it's adaptable enough that you can have yes. damage dealers, supports, and healers yes. all from one class. And that's why I, I really fell in love with the Warlock class back in 3.5. Because mm-hmm. it was, like you just said, outside of the Bard, it they are literally the only two classes that are that adaptable. You and they have, fit what you need in the moment. You could have a party of five Warlocks. And they would all be very different in function. And you could even then still color code them. You absolutely could. That would be fun. And I'm I'm seriously thinking, like, <laughs> if you were to run a campaign that was all warlocks and turn it into, like, this is our magical girl show, we fight monsters with the power of love and friendship, like, you could firk, firk? You could work in the whole double lives thing. Easily. Which is still one of my favorite parts of the series, or the not the series, the genre, that we didn't really talk too much about. Because it's hard to fit that in with a normal adventuring group. Right. Unless you are literally going with the idea of, oh no, I only have my powers when I transform. Right. And the rest of the time, I'm just a normal girl. And that's, so when I made my first warlock, that's kind of what I did. In terms of, I only can use my powers... When I transform and use that specific power to transform. Right. It was a mechanical choice that I limited to myself. It was not something that was foisted upon me. It was just a flavor choice that I enjoyed. Yeah. Well, and the great thing about pacts is several of them are, like, bonus actions that work instantly. Exactly. So it doesn't actually take any more time for you to do your transformation sequence. Exactly. And you're like, look, done. Um... <clears throat> but to the other side of that, if you have an entire party of warlocks 
and you want to play that magical girl reality, you can actually run it as, hey, we have two separate lives. And by doing so, it's kind of cool because you kind of have two separate campaigns going at the same time. Which that idea to me is also fascinating. Which I like, my mind is just kind of like, I want to play in that right now. Because, okay, this is what's going on in the normal city life world. And then this is what's going on with my magical girl world. And that whole big thing. Um, And like, that's where I fight monsters. But then I get my social interactions and like my, like flush out character stuff. By my private, like, normal person world. Exactly. And, and then, ah, I, I want to play. <laughs> anybody who knows the way that I play knows basically the way that you play, because we're pretty similar in that the character-to-character interactions and the role-playing... Matter so much more. It's a massive draw to the game. It really is. But that's also because we come from a similar background as far as actors. Yes. So we're not the hack-and-slash type of gamers. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoy beating up orcs and goblins every now and again sure but my favorite times especially when i do get to play with you is getting to interact with your insane characters (laughs) and i mean insane in the context of they're brilliant sometimes they're actually insane on on rare occasions (laughs) less rare than i would like sometimes but that's fair um now some of you out there might be thinking i really like the sound of playing a magical girl character, but I don't think I can fit it into, like, my D&D group, or I don't like the way D&D plays, or that's a whole lot of math to worry about. Um, and I cannot speak to the quality or veracity of several of the things I'm about to mention here, because I have not playtested several of these myself. But I did look for magical girl role-playing games and there are a couple that are very specific to it and there are a couple that are easily adapted to it i'm excited so i'm gonna go down this list and we're gonna talk about each one a little bit okay the first one is big eyes small mouth and if you can't tell by the name of it it's an anime inspired rpg i had no clue yeah funny how they (laughs) they just kind of sneak it in there it's so subtle it's extremely It's just very well-crafted. Now, I have no idea how this game actually plays. Okay. Uh, But I do know it works with something called the Tristat system, which simplifies gameplay so there's a lot less math and a lot less rolling. But it's built mostly around this idea of, like, we have something for pretty much every anime genre, which makes it... I'm good with that. Yeah, it makes it pretty easy to bring into what we've been talking about. Um, there is a World of Darkness spin-off splat called Princess the Hopeful, which what? is not an official like White Wolf World of Darkness game, but it is... I'm not entirely sure how... I... It's almost exactly like the Western idea of what a magical girl is but it's a lot more isolated and it's meant to be like it's bright and shiny in a world of darkness setting which means it's normal colors yes (laughs) like you're still gonna be blood and guts in the normal setting but like you are the 
hopeful, powerful, magical princess who is like literally stepping out of a fairy tale. Um, there is another one which I found a couple of years ago originally, back when I first had the idea of I want to run a magical girl game called Magical Burst. And the entire thing is available as a PDF. It's in its alpha uh, and it's online. The alpha was published, like put online for consumption in 2015. And I haven't seen any updates to it since then. Okay. So if anybody out there knows about Magical Burst and knows that it has continued or adapted, please let me know. <laughs> because this system has a lot of potential and it is pretty much Madoka the game with all of the themes that that entails. So if you are not familiar with the show and you don't want to be spoiled on it, literally don't even Google Magical Burst. But if you do, it's got a lot of potential. I want to play. I do too. Uh, there's also the fate system, which is very easily adapted to pretty much anything, because fate is literally just, here's the mechanics. Do with it what you will. Yeah. So, like, that one would be super simple. Uh, there's Swords Without Master, which has almost no mechanics. Yeah. And you can make it whatever you want. So that one would also be really easy to adapt into a magical girl show. And we've talked about Swords of Master on or Swords Without Master on this show a little bit before. It is one of the most interesting storytelling games out there to me, because of how open and collaborative it is. Which I think is brilliant, and I would love to actually get to play that game with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last one that I found is called Witchcraft. I love the name. I didn't get a chance to read a lot about witchcraft, but what I basically found is there are special magical people and there are normal people. And the special magical people fight monsters that the normal people are not aware of. So, like, ah. this is a pretty tried-and-true trope for role-playing games in general, like World of Darkness theoretically operates on the same level of yeah. there's a secret war out there all the time. This one's just a little bit more explicit about, no, you are magical. And from what I saw, it can be fairly easily adapted to fit the tropes with a little bit of wiggling. My crazy idea, kind of off-topic, but not really. I like off-topic. Right? With, with introducing these games and the fact that I, too, have been a Dodeca listener, um, <coughs> slash fanboy, um, <laughs> I would love to see you and Colin create a cast of five magical girls in your D&D high school setting, and you could easily make them, like, the popular girls. I mean... As a bunch of warlocks. That would actually be super easy to do. I know. And it would be hilarious. I would enjoy it. I would very much Just, enjoy that. That was my random tangential thought. Speaking of that, <laughs> D&D High School will get deeper into the planning phase after Gen Con. Gen Con is next weekend. So don't look for that in August. But like, after that, we'll probably be seeding... 
the fields with a little bit more D&D high school information. Excellent. Because that is a phenomenal idea that needs to come to fruition. I am, I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and we have a couple of our players who have already thrown character ideas at me, and I'm excited about all of them. Um, now, there was one... There was one seed that I planted earlier in this conversation that I said we'd talk about later, and it is about as later as it gets. We're going to have like two minutes to talk about this, and then we're going to have to wrap up the episode. If it's what I think you're thinking about, I can handle that in like a minute and a half. Excellent. And we're talking about why magical girls and gay men are like besties? Yes. Really simply put, it draws back to the diva worship. Like, gay men being closeted, and in case no one can tell, I'm from a different generation than the modern gays that came out at 12. Um, but no, you have normal people, or normal girls, in situations that is, like, they're lackluster, but they get superpowers that allow them to save the world and be something greater than just simple, boring, and like everybody else. And in that, like, we immediately attach to that in the same way that, like, we attach to Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, who went from being a basic farm girl in Kansas to the hero of Oz, and hence the start of, of diva worship. I just always like touching upon these ideas of why do we love the things that we love? And I think that concept of, like, you have the normal person who becomes special, who becomes powerful, and that mirrors my experiences. Yep. That speaks to me on several levels, mostly because I think while that resonates with certain groups more than others, there's no one who can't look at that story and think, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yes. Differences, magical girls offer a kaleidoscope of vibrant colors, and most straight men not vibing with that. Yeah, a lot of straight men tend to like the gray and brown color palettes of, say, your Call of Duties. (laughs) You just like the way that I said that. I just like how you said duty. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I... Don't have a whole lot more to say on this topic right now. And I thank you for letting me come on and talk about it with you. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this for some time. So, Greg, if people want to reach out to you... Oh, boy. ...or see any of your thoughts or musings, do you have a a Twitter or an Instagram or anything they could follow? I do the social media thing sometimes. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at, at Gregory Chrysler. Uh, really simple, really easy. And otherwise, uh, I don't really do much else. Right on. And if you want to send in a question or a thought on what we've been talking about or just your random musings about gaming or pretty much anything, we'll take whatever correspondence we can get. You can reach out to Dodecahedron at our email address, which is... I don't remember. Oh, I put you on the spot and you, you failed me. I panicked. I panicked. Dodecapodcast at gmail.com. Say I didn't, I didn't remember it was Gmail. 
It's okay. Pretty much everything we have is under the handle Dodeca Podcast, except for our Twitter, which is at Podcast Dodeca. But you can find us on Instagram at Dodeca Podcast. We have, I think, five posts now. Ooh! Very proud of that. You should be. Uh, we are technically on Tumblr, but it never gets used, and that's Dodeca Podcast. Uh, you can go to our website, dodecapodcast.com, where you can find our entire podcast archive if you've just started listening on Spotify or whatever and want to go back and listen to them from the source instead of from your very convenient app. We are on Spotify. We're on Google Play. And we're on iTunes. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your loved ones. Tell that girl in your high school who never seems to get enough sleep and has hair the same color as her pants. Or that boy that you've been in love with since you were 12 that you met yesterday. (laughs) And from all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you on our next adventures.